Thank you, Kristen. Amen. Here's a story about some people who never gave up. From the book of Exodus, chapter 16. Let's listen together for the word of the Lord. There in the desert, they all complained to Moses and Aaron and said to them, we wish the Lord had killed us in Egypt. There, we could at least sit down and eat meat and as much other food as we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve us all to death. The Lord said to Moses, now I am going to cause food to rain down from the sky for all of you. The people must go out every day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I can test them to find out if they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to bring in twice as much as usual and prepare it. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, this evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. In the morning, you will see the dazzling light of the Lord's presence. He has heard your complaints against him. Yes, against him. Because we are only carrying out his instructions. Then Moses said, it is the Lord who will give you meat to eat in the evening and as much bread you want in the morning because he has heard how much you have complained against him. When you complain against us, you are really complaining against the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, tell the whole community to come and stand before the Lord, because he has heard their complaints. As Aaron spoke to the whole community, they turned toward the desert, and suddenly the dazzling light of the Lord appeared in a cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight they will have meat to eat, and in the morning they will have all the bread they want. Then they will know that I, the Lord, am their God. In the evening, a large flock of quails flew in, enough to cover the camp, and in the morning there was dew all around the camp. When the dew evaporated, there was something thin and flaky on the surface of the desert. It was as delicate as frost. When the Israelites saw it, they didn't know what it was and asked each other, what is it? Moses said to them, this is the food that the Lord has given you to eat. Thanks be to God. The Israelites in the desert uh, desperate. They think it would have been better off to remain in Egypt enslaved because at least they had something to eat and they could sit down to eat it. And now they say to Moses, why have you brought us out here that we would starve to death in the desert? And God provides them manna, this fine, frosty, flaky thing to nourish them each day, to go out each day and uh, to gather. 
they discovered that if they try to gather more than they need for the day, it rots overnight, gets worms and disgusting. So they learn to depend upon God each and every day, going out each day to gather, except on the Sabbath when they would gather two days portions so that on uh, they'd eat, rather on Friday they would gather two portions so that on the Sabbath, on Saturday, they would still have food to eat. In this way, the people of Israel deepens its understanding of the providence of God and how God is with them and for them in every circumstance of their lives, particularly in their deepest need for simple nourishment. Everything we have, my friends, comes from the hands of God. It's so easy for us to forget this essential truth fall into the trap of thinking that we are the authors of our own destiny, that we are the one who creates the bounty of our lives. Nothing, of course, really could be further from the truth. For all the blessings of our lives come from that providential hand of God. Everything that we have, we don't really have. We're renting. We're using it while we're here and passing it on from one generation to the next, every day, dependent upon God. So let's turn to the uh, book of Matthew in um, the 18th chapter and read there the remarkable uh, parable of the day laborers or the beneficent landowner. It's so interesting, you know, the name that you give to parables uh, can change your orientation about uh, what the parable means. For instance, the parable of the uh, prodigal son. Is it really about the prodigal son or is it about the loving and forgiving father? The parable of the lost sheep. Is it really about the lost sheep or is it about the shepherd who goes and search? The parable of the lost coin. Is it really the parable of the lost coin or is it the parable of the woman who seeks diligently uh, to find it? One of the things about the parables, of course, is they uh, invite repeated reading and listening and hearing interpretation across the ages of uh, humanity, across history, but also within our individual lives. It's so important for us to understand that the uh, parables are not meant to provide easy answers, but to invite us into the deep questions of life and in that engagement to find a deeper understanding of uh, God's movement in our own lives. Jesus spoke in parables out of the idiom and the experience, the lived experience of his day and the people uh, who followed him. Uh, so now I'm from the Gospel of Matthew. I'll be right back. I'm going over uh, to the uh, table to pick up the Bible. So from Matthew in the 18th chapter. Last week we looked at the, uh, the parable about the remarkable way in which God tells, Jesus tells a story using hyperbole uh, to show the unending nature of God's care and concern and compassion in forgiveness. He uses economic examples uh, to get uh, to his point. And again, Jesus uh, refers to the economy of the people who followed him in the world in which they lived in addressing the needs of day laborers. When you hear this story, it's about a vineyard owner going out and hiring uh, folks in the marketplace, the agora, 
to come and work at his uh, vineyard. But today, it might be that of a general contractor, a builder, or of a landscaper who would drive by one of the uh, large box stores that sells building supplies and finding there in the uh, parking lot men waiting and women occasionally waiting to be hired as a day laborer. Just enough for today. This was the denarius, one day's wages that we talked about last week and now shows up here. Enough work for enough money for enough food for today and not to put away in the bank. Remember this the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about the uh, flowers of the field and the sparrows of the air and how Solomon in all his glory and wealth was not arrayed like one of these. And how in the Sermon on the Mount he talked about the farmer whose harvest was so plentiful he built new barns to store the hay and then at night he's done for. Do not put your focus in the goods storing up for you in this life, but focus your heart, your mind, your life on the gifts of heaven or the kingdom of heaven. Jesus in the gospel of Matthew and Luke and throughout the uh, gospels talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God being at hand. Now, here, now, not in the sky, in the high in the sky by and by, but the actual lived experience of people now, the actual economic lives of people, not just in the first century, in Judea or in Galilee, but in the 21st century, in Fairfield or Pittsburgh or Providence or Arizona or Portland or wherever we are, the relevance and the poignancy and the potency of these narratives, particularly for those who are the least among us, those who are marginalized and dispossessed and literally live um, day to day. So Jesus said, uh, chapter 20, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. And when he went back, at nine o'clock, he saw others who were idle, hanging around in the marketplace. He said to them, uh, you also go out to my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went and they went out again about noon and about three o'clock and he did the same. And at about five o'clock, he went out and he found others still standing around. And he said to them, well, why are you standing here idle all day? They said, because no one has hired us. He said, well, okay, then you also, he didn't say, okay, that's why I added that to the Bible. I'm sorry. He said, okay. No. <laughs> he said, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. So those who were hired about five o'clock, one hour before quitting time, each received the usual daily wage, the denarius. Now, when the first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual 
daily wage, one denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, well, these last work for only one hour, and you have made them equal to we who have borne the burden of the day and of the scorching heat. The landowner replied, friends, I am doing you no wrong. Did we not agree that you would work for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Amen. I'm going to move out of the pulpit. I find a little constrained in here, so I'm going to uh, move. And uh, I think the camera's going to follow me. <laughs> the wonders of technology and duct tape. How's that, Sherry? You're perfect. Good? Oh, I'm perfect. <laughs> Sherry says I'm perfect. I wanna, let, let, let the record show that Sherry says I'm perfect. <laughs> Badly. So, you know, it's easy for us to uh, want to spiritualize uh, the, the Gospels and certainly the parables, uh, to see them talking about salvation and heaven and so forth. I think this parable is about what it's about. It's about day laborers. It's about people whose economic lives are severely limited and who is, uh, whose sustenance is stretched often uh, beyond their limits. It's about a different economic model for our life. We are in a day and age when we are challenged to reconsider uh, the meaning of work and of value. Before the pandemic began, uh, there were 118 billionaires who lived in the state of New York. No, 114, I'm sorry. And today there are 118 billionaires living in the state of New York, not because they moved in, but because those who were on the edge of billionaredom were pushed over the edge with the economic windfall of the pandemic. And the net worth of the 118 billionaires increased by $47 billion in six months. One billionaire in particular his net worth increased by $1 billion in a month. In the meantime, essential workers, quote unquote, essential workers are paid minimum wage, which hardly covers the cost of rent and food and healthcare, which is often not part of the benefits that accrues to their employment. These are not facts which we can easily ignore as people of faith who claim to follow the one called Jesus. He was the friend of the poor and of the dispossessed. He understood that it's more important for everybody to have plenty, the manor in the desert, plenty and enough to sustain them, but for no one to have too much. Everybody should have plenty, but no one 
should have too much. This is the idea behind some wonderful ideas in a day and age when the whole understanding of what constitutes work is being re-examined. The idea of a national living income. To solve the grave and gross inequities in our society. I'm not arguing against uh, the system. I'm arguing against a system that is truly, I think by any reasonable estimation, run amok. We do live in a day and age when the old adage of the rich get richer and the poor get poorer is being demonstrated in inordinate ways. It's something that simply cannot be denied. As Christians, we need to stand at the forefront of a social engagement and reevaluation and recognition of the inequities that are built into the system, that are baked into the system, rewarding, of course, personal initiative and risk-taking and those who step out and try to create, but also recognizing that first and foremost and throughout is the concern that everybody's basic needs be provided. This is the first will be last and the last shall be first. This is the manner in the desert that all will have plenty, but none will have too much. This is the landowner who builds bonds to store his grain and then dies in the night not as a punishment, but we put too much stock in accumulating wealth as though somehow that is the end, the purpose, the goal of our lives. You really can't take it with you. And so the generation of wealth has to be not for the accumulation of power, prestige, privilege, the perquisites of wealth, but the generation of wealth needs to be for the common good, the common wealth, the well-being of all people. This lies at the heart of our Puritan heritage. The Puritan idea was that communities would live in mutual care and compassion, and when someone was knocked down, the community would build and pick them that's our call as Christians. So the title of my sermon is, you have a problem with that? Well, read the gospel. Consider the mandates of God. God calls us to be that generous, loving, upbuilding presence, not just for me and mine and ours, but for all of us the common good, the commonwealth, the well-being of God's beloved children. Amen.